Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our evening service, Sunday 28th of April 2019. This evening we are joined by Pastor Andrew Campbell, who takes his reading from Ruth, Chapter 2, and brings a message entitled, Homeward Bound. Good evening. Good to be back with you again. And we're turning again tonight to the book of Ruth. We read the prologue this morning, the first five verses. We'll read the remaining verses of Ruth chapter 1 together this evening from verse 6 down to verse 22. Joshua, Judges, and then the book of Ruth. Beginning at verse 6, this is God's word. Then she, that's Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to your, her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say, if I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you nor return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried." May the Lord do to so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on the way till they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Ending a reading at verse 22, we thank God 
for his word. This morning we looked at the prologue, the first five verses of chapter 1. We saw the context in the time of Judah was the period between 1250 and 1050 BC, a time of widespread idolatry, unfaithfulness, declension and apostasy in the land of Judah. We saw the very poor decision of a man called Elimelech to leave Bethlehem for the pagan country of Moab, a decision that had immense repercussions. First of all, Elimelech himself died. Then his two sons married Moabite women. They died also. The two sons died too. We saw then Naomi's subsequent desolation. Her life has fallen apart. She lost her husband, now her two sons. She has stood beside three graves in Moab. She's bereft of hope. She's emotionally drained, spiritually confused, physically exhausted. No husband, no sons, no grandchildren, no one to carry on the family name. All of this, the fallout from a a bad decision to leave the house of bread and to go to the pagan land of Moab. Four things tonight we see in these verses. First of all, we see Naomi's repentance. Many people who have found themselves in Naomi's position would have actually turned their back on God. People who have suffered severely and bitterly and their response sometimes, I know people like that, is to shake their fist at God in rebellion. How can you be a God of infinite power, of grace and love and allow this to happen to me? Naomi didn't do that. Yes, she was brutally honest about her pain. She cried bitter tears in a foreign land, but tears do not reflect a lack of faith. Her counterpart, Job, mourned openly for his family. He didn't cover up his grief. He tore his robe. He shaved his head. This loss that Job suffered impacted him profoundly. And Naomi is the same. She has plumbed the depths of sorrow. But she held on to God despite the trauma and despite the loss in her life. Lady called Nancy Guthrie, she spoke at the, the Baptist Women Ladies Conference in Lisbon on the 1st of March. She lost two children, a son and a daughter, to a rare genetic disorder. Both of them died before they were six months old. Yet despite that profound personal loss and ordeal and sadness, this is what she wrote. If God, allowed, if God has allowed suffering into your life, it is for a purpose. A good purpose, a holy purpose. Few of us would choose to suffer, yet if he has allowed it, we can embrace it instead of running from it, and we can see God in the midst of suffering. And as we make our way through the book of Ruth, we will see God in the midst of Naomi's suffering. And God has a purpose for Naomi's suffering. And God has a purpose for your suffering and for my suffering. And it's always for our good and for his glory. You look at verse 6, the first verse we read, we're told she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. This word return is mentioned 12 times in the book, and it's, one of, it's commonly associated with the word repent. Naomi has probably heard from a, a passing merchant that the famine in Judah is now over, and we're told the Lord has visited his people by giving them 
food or bread. That's why the prodigal came home, because there was bread enough to spare at home. See, God never abandons his people. He may chasten them for their disobedience. But he will remember his promises. He will remember his covenant with his people. And this repentance of Naomi is significant. They've heard good news from home. How the Lord has once again blessed his people. And I believe this is a lovely picture of the gospel. The good news that we proclaim in our churches week by week. Telling people what God has done for us. What great things he has done for us through the life and death and resurrection of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The message is the Lord has visited his people. That's what happened in Bethlehem when the Lord Jesus came from heaven to this earth. He visited his people in mercy. This is a message of life. The Lord had visited his people by giving them food. That's what's needed in the gospel. The Lord Jesus is the bread of life. And it's a message of grace. They didn't hear there's an opportunity to get bread or to make bread. Simply, God has given them bread, food. God's people had abandoned him. They were unfaithful. He chastised them, but there was grace. The Lord loved Naomi. Naomi has been chastened by a very sore providence in Moab. She's been away from the true place of worship, the true place of fellowship. But the Lord wants her back out of Moab. He's taken her husband. He's taken her sons. He's taken her home, all her earthly comforts that he might have her heart. God wants Naomi's heart again. Just like the psalmist who said, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. And if there is to be reconciliation between the Lord and his people, there has to be a change of heart. There has to be a turning away from Moab. You can't serve God and mammon. Elijah on Mount Carmel said, if the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, follow him. The Lord is gracious, compassionate, abounding in steadfast love. And perhaps you're here this evening and in recent days or weeks or months or years, you've strayed from the Lord. Doubts have crept in. That besetting sin is back with vengeance. That thorny issue with someone in the church or the community hasn't been resolved. Maybe like Naomi, for you tonight it's time for a, a change of heart. It's time to repent. It's time to get back on track. But secondly, in these verses we see Naomi's sorrow. As we said this morning, there are f in the four chapters, there's a crucial event in each chapter. This is the one in chapter one at this crossroads. This is a, a moment of earth-shattering significance at this crossroads between Moab and Bethlehem. And at this crossroads, Naomi urges her daughters-in-law to go back home. This is one of the most moving, emotional, poignant scenes in the entire Bible. Three women have a common bond. Their family through marriage, 
The three of them have stood at three graves in Moab. They have wept bitter tears. They have experienced the raw pain of bereavement. They've lost their husbands and two other family members. And they stand at this most significant crossroads in their life. If you look at verse 8, we're told that Naomi urges them to go back to their mother's house. Another reminder that this book is written from a female perspective. And verse 9, Naomi continues to urge them. She implores them to go back home. She all but phones for a taxi for her two daughters-in-law. And they lift up their voices and weep. Naomi loved her daughters-in-law. There's a clear sense of affection here between these three women. She calls them her daughters. Grief has galvanized them. Grief has brought them together. They have been united by tears, and they stand at the crossroads, and they weep uncontrollably. And as we read these verses, it's apparent that Naomi believes that the Lord has been out to get her, to punish her for her husband's bad decision. One translation of verse 13 is, Indeed, Yahweh's own hand has attacked me. All of the frustration now comes to the surface. And Naomi bursts into this tidal wave of anger, despair, seeming hopeless, and mind-blowing sorrow. Just like our counterpart Job, who exclaimed, I was at ease and he broke me. He seized me by the neck and doused me to pieces. He set me up as his target. Naomi and Joe both faced the pain of bereavement. And they agonized over their laments. And they wrestled with God. And they pour out their hearts to God. In their time of great spiritual confusion and sorrow and tears. The question many people ask whenever a believer is going through a particular trial, is there sin in that person's life? Is God punishing them for a secret sin in their life? Job's friends suspected that he had a secret sin. This is why he was suffering so horrendously. But the Bible tells us that Job was a a righteous man. He was a man of transparency and integrity. The Lord had afflicted Naomi grievously. She had sorrow upon sorrow. Desolation and distress and death have visited her. And she's going home with a broken heart. This is Naomi's sorrow. What we need to understand is, it's not, it wasn't God's ultimate purpose to punish Naomi. God's ultimate purpose is to reach a heathen girl called Ruth and to draw her to himself. The thing we need to remember tonight is that God will accomplish his purposes. He is all sovereign. He's a God of providence. And his plan of redemption will be fulfilled. Thirdly, tonight we see Ruth's commitment Orpha can't resist the lure of Moab. She can't resist the lure of her own kindred, her own false gods. She was unwilling to turn her back on her false religion and her relatives. And right on the very edge of the most important decision of her life, Orpha runs out of courage. She turned her back on the God of Naomi. She turned her back on the God of the Bible. 
and as Orpha heads for Moab, it's one down and one to go for Naomi. And she points down the road to Moab to Orpha heading home. And verse 15 says, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return to your sister-in-law. And she urges Ruth to go back. Wonder, do you wonder why Naomi was so keen for her two daughters-in-law to go back to Moab? I believe there's two reasons. First reason is I believe she may have been embarrassed to bring two girls from Moab back to Bethlehem. But I believe the primary reason why was Naomi realized the, the folly of making a decision on the spot. Making an on-the-spot decision can prove to be very costly. It had done for her family. Naomi has learned this by experience. And she wants these two women to count the cost the only thing that Bethlehem can offer these two women is permanent widowhood. Moab offers so much more. These two women have to make a deliberate, informed choice by themselves. You see, there's a cost to following Jesus Christ. We live in a world where we're impacted with easy believism. All you need to do is ask Jesus into your heart that's your ticket to heaven. Go away and live whatever way you want. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible calls for commitment and consecration and change. Jesus explained very clearly there's a radical cost to following him. Matthew seven fourteen. Narrow is the gate and broad is the way, difficult is the way which leads to life and there be few that find it. And if you're here this evening... And you're not yet a Christian. The Bible says that you're on a very broad road that will lead to destruction. And what you need to understand tonight is that it will cost you to be a Christian. It may cost you some of your friends. It may cost you your reputation. But ultimately it will cost you your sin. You're going to have to leave your sin behind. You're going to have to forsake it. And you're going to have to acknowledge that your sin has offended God, profoundly offended Him. Salvation is very costly because tonight I want to tell you that salvation costs God His only Son. The darling of heaven, the, the Lamb of God left heaven, became one of us, lived a life that we could never live, a perfect life, a spotless, blameless, perfect life. For 30 years he lived on this earth. For three and a half years after that, he ministered. He was arrested, put on trial, sentenced to death by crucifixion. And on the first Good Friday, 2,000 years ago, he was crucified on a cross. Why? Because of your sin and my sin. On that cross, he died for sin, not for his own because he didn't have any. See, this is the answer to the pandemic of human sin. God's Son on a cross. This is how costly salvation is. So if you're not a Christian right now, 
God challenges you tonight in the gospel. The Lord Jesus passes this way in the gospel tonight and he invites you. The text was on the wall, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to him with all your doubts, with all your regrets, with all your shame, with all your baggage, And he will not only give you a new start in life, he will give you a new life to start. Ruth at the crossroads between Moab and Bethlehem, her choice is not about culture. It's not about family loyalty. It's not about future plans. Ruth's choice is about God. And she digs her heels in. And she boldly says, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. And then we have this marvelous declaration of affection and love and loyalty. Look at verses 16 and 17. And this is central to the whole chapter. Naomi, Ruth shows her lavish love and concern for her mother-in-law, Naomi. With a commitment to stay with her until death itself. Look at her submission. She says, For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Even though she was uncertain about the future, even though she was leaving the land of the curse for the land of the covenant. We see her submission, but we see her acceptance. She makes this different and significant choice, and she affirms her complete trust in God. Some of the greatest words in the whole Bible, Your God shall be my God. This is the language of the covenant. What a stirring, confident, wholehearted commitment to follow the Lord regardless of the cost. Ruth's eyes have been opened to the the truth of Jehovah, the true and living God. Ruth has been converted. She has trusted the Lord. Perhaps she was watching Naomi in her time of devastation. And even though Naomi's far from home, she watched her in the aftermath of her bereavement. Of course, Naomi's family were far from perfect. But if you're like Ruth and you're living in complete darkness, the least little chink of light will have a a magnificent impact. Naomi knew the Lord. And Ruth knew there's something different about Naomi's God. He's a God you can have a relationship with. He's a God who's alive. He's a God you can trust, unlike the false gods of Moab. And Ruth, the heathen girl from Moab, puts her trust in Jehovah. We see her submission, her acceptance, but we also see her consecration. Where you die, I will die. And there I'll be buried. Ruth has a one-way ticket out of Moab. She's turning her back on all her past, All her family, her false gods, her friends, she's pledging her wholehearted allegiance to the true and living God. He has opened her heart and she will follow him unconditionally. Ruth declares unashamedly, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And there are thousands of Christian parents and grandparents up and down this land, perhaps you here tonight, And you would just long that your children or your grandchildren 
or your son-in-law or daughter-in-law would make this commitment of consecration to wholeheartedly follow the Lord. The grace of God has opened the heart of Ruth. And despite all the disadvantages, despite the cost, she slams the door shut on her past in Moab and she will follow Jehovah. And if you look at verse 18, when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. It was probably a quiet walk from Bethy, from Moab to Bethlehem. All picture, no sound from Naomi. She knew that Ruth's decision was contrary to logic and contrary to reason. But she stopped arguing. And the two ladies make their way to Bethlehem. God worked a true miracle in the heart of Ruth. And he can do it for our friends and our family too if we persevere in the place of prayer. And secondly, if our testimony is consistent. Because people are watching us to see how we react in times of trouble, in times of loss, in times of deprivation. How does that Christian you work with, how do they, how do they react and work? They're watching us to see how we react. Ruth's decision at that crossroads between Moab and Bethlehem has impacted us here tonight. Because Almighty God in His great wisdom is pulling the strings. As we said this morning, He's always working behind the scenes. This was the most momentous decision for Ruth to leave Moab. Because she will marry Boaz. And her grandson will be King David. And from his line will come David's greater son, the Redeemer, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and our King. What a momentous event at the crossroads between Moab and Bethlehem. Lastly, tonight we see Naomi's return. Verses 19 to 22. Naomi's coming home Widowed, childless, penniless, homeless. Naomi is a weary and broken woman and the whole town are astonished to see her coming home. Just like Job's friends, when they come to visit home, they're astonished at his appearance. And this arrival of Naomi back in Bethlehem causes quite a stir. And we're told in verse 19 that the whole city was excited because of them. Perhaps the people have heard the news from Moab how badly things have turned out for Naomi losing her husband and then her two sons. And the crowd asks, is this Naomi? I'm sure you've seen that program 10 years younger when ladies get a makeover to help stifle the aging process. They might get their hair restyled, their teeth whitened, new clothes, new makeup. Naomi could have done with a makeover before she left Moab. She's been away 10 years and she's aged. She's suffered heartache and bereavement in a foreign land. There are a few more gray hairs. There are a few more wrinkles. And the women say, is this Naomi? And she snaps back. Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. 
for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. The Almighty has afflicted me. Don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant and lovely and delightful, but call me Mara, which means bitter. Because the Almighty has made me bitter. This is a bitter return for Naomi. She's gone through the mill. A time of great loss, grieving circumstances. And these grieving circumstances have actually hardened her understanding of God's sovereignty. In verse 20 to 21, we have her emotionally charged words here saying that God is good, but God's not great. And I believe Naomi's mistaken to measure God's goodness by her level of happiness and her circumstances. And at times we follow in Naomi's footsteps. And we judge God's faithfulness to us depending on our, how many of our desires have been met, how many of our prayers have been answered. As someone has said, too often it's not God's will that we want, but our will made possible by God. We need to avoid being like Naomi and speaking out of turn like this. We need to exercise self-control, which is one of the ninefold fruit of the Spirit. In spite of our prevailing, perplexing, troubling circumstances, we can't see what's happening in the background, how the Lord is working. In the seen and in the unseen, He's always working behind the scenes to accomplish His plan for our good and for His glory. He hasn't brought us this far to renege on His promises. We know that if we can trust Him fully, for all who trust Him fully, find Him wholly true. Undoubtedly, this time spent in Moab had had a, was a bitter experience for Naomi. Yet in spite of this genuine grief, genuine despair, this very bitter return to Bethlehem, there's hope. There's grace. Look at the last verse of the chapter. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. The chapter begins with famine. The chapter ends with harvest. The famine is over. The Lord again has once again blessed His covenant people. The Lord has provided for His people. See, in spite of our compromise on faithfulness. God remains faithful. He remains gracious. He never, ever abandons His people. He loves His people. And absolutely nothing will separate us from His love. And barley time is a significant time. Response to one of the great feasts celebrated by the Jewish people, the Feast of Firstfruits, which was celebrated the Sunday after Passover. This feast acknowledged that the product of the soil every was, every was God's favor on His people. This was a time of new life after the cold, long death of, of winter. New life comes in the spring. A new life points us to what we were reflecting on last weekend, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 
And all who put their trust in Jesus have new life and they become a, a kind of first fruits unto God. The word first fruit actually means there's more to come. And there's more to come from the book of Ruth, God willing, tomorrow night. And there's more to come in the gospel age as millions of people, men and women, boys and girls, will acknowledge and believe in their kinsman, Redeemer, the risen, exalted, soon coming Lord Jesus Christ. God is working out His purposes in the seen and on the unseen. He's using ordinary people like Ruth and Naomi and you and I to fulfill His purposes. We have a very faithful God. We thank God for His word to our hearts tonight.